Uh, well, welcome to All Nations. Uh, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you have your Bibles, we're just going to dive right into the text. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn to our main text for today, uh, John chapter 15, verses 9 to 14. Uh, John chapter 15, uh, verses 9 to uh, 14. And I'll be reading from the ESV. May God bless the reading of his matchless and inspired word. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Amen. Amen. Well, last week we started a new series titled Crafted by God. And the subtitle and kind of what that's about is uh, that we want to learn what it means to find our community in Christ. Now, oftentimes when uh, we hear a series on community in the church, uh, we tend to focus on our values on our commitments, on our mission. Uh, We talk about all the things that we want to do, all the things that we want to practice together uh, as things such like um, prayer. We want to do mission together. We want to worship together. We want to do justice together. And and these are our kind of community values, our community distinctives. Now, those are all great, you know, and, and I've preached messages just like that. And those are very valuable things. But in this series, I really want to step back I want to step back and I want to remember that Christian community is not primarily experienced through our doing, but by our belonging, okay? Uh, It's not primarily experienced by our doing, but by our belonging. And as I kind of survey the church today, uh, you know, I I read a lot of of church books and blogs and, and all my podcasts are these dorky Christian church leadership podcasts. And uh, so many leaders are talking about your church has to be, be wrapped around your mission and what you guys are there gathering together to do, to accomplish. You got to rally them, right? Give them a purpose and then they'll be on board. Then they'll sign up. Then they'll sign on and be active in your ministry and engaged. And I, I don't want to completely deny that because we are going to talk about a lot of valuable, important things we want to do as a community. Uh, but our doing doesn't define the church, our doing does not define what we, why we gather and our purpose as the body of Christ. It's actually about our belonging, okay? The church is a gathering of people who through the power of the cross have come to belong to God. And because we belong to God, we belong to one another, right? Um, I, I feel like the more and more we can delve into this truth uh, throughout this series, I really feel like we can become more and more a church that God has built up, not just kind of our preferences and our own dynamics and our own affinities. You see, there are really two ways people are brought together in community. The first is simply common interest, right? Uh, We experience this all the time. What brings us together, right? What, what, What gathers and rallies groups? Most of the time, it's common interests. Colleges are full of common interest groups that bring students together around sports, music, culture, food, even religion. Right, go to any campus during Welcome Week, 
and you'll see hordes of clubs lined up. They, they table, they rent tables, and you just go all throughout the quad, all throughout the main walkway, and they're just all trying to get more students to sign up to their club, to their group, based on a common interest, right? Whether it's like hip-hop dancing, right? Or I had friends in like the Polynesian club where they would just hula dance and, and eat L&L and things like that. Or, or I was part of like the Korean Christian club. We were, we were always like vying for signups versus just the Korean culture club uh, that would do other things in Koreatown than go to church and, and whatever it might be. And, and so we, we know this, right? We, we can gather based on these common interests and shared experiences, very common to us. Uh, families, uh, you meet people just because of your children. You volunteer in the PTA, right? You, you do ride sharing, whatever it might be. And you suddenly find yourself in relationship with people just because you're part of the same school, school district, uh, same group, whatever it might be. And it's this common interest. But there's a second way people come together. There's a second way people come together and it's not just through a common interest, but it's through a common person. Okay. If you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because the only reason you have a relationship with your in-laws is because of your spouse, right? I mean, they are amazing people. They are lovable, perfect. You would love to spend Christmas and New Year's and Thanksgiving with them. I mean, right? Just naturally, you would just gravitate towards your in-laws, wouldn't you? No, I'm sorry, guys. Maybe for some of y'all. But the reason why you spend holidays, vacations, time, and money on these people is because of a common person your spouse, and your in-laws do the same for you, right? Why would they welcome you into their house? Why would they suddenly call you, you know, you know my son-in-law, my daughter-in-law, and care about you and love on you? It's because of a person, right? It's because of this relationship. Do you see that distinction? A common interest community versus a common person community. Now, now which is the church for you? Why do you come to all nations? Why are you in community here? Is it a community formed by a common interest? Or, or are we a, co a community formed by a common person? Would you really think about that? Why are you here? Why are you committed here? And at times, it, it might feel like both, right? It might be a little bit of both. You want to be here because of Jesus, but you're also here because you grew up here and your friends are here, or you live in La Crescenta, it's just two freeway exits over, or whatever it might be, and it's convenient. But, but I want to say this, okay? The more you identify the church as a common interest community, the further you move away from a biblical vision of the church, okay? If... As you assess your experience and your motivation for coming, if it really is down to, I, I like hanging out with people my age, I like hanging out with other Asians, I'm comfortable here, or I like the location, or I like the vibe, or I like the music, or I like the, the speaker, or I like the programs, the more you associate yourself with common interests and your own preferences, the further you move away from a biblical vision of the church. The more you see the church as your common interest community, the thinner and more self-centered your experience will be. Because you're always gonna be looking for people within the church who are like you. People who fit your personality, right? People that you kind of just gel with and vibe with and you're comfortable with. People in your life stages, people who uh, share the same preferences and passions that you have. And if you find those things here at All Nations, you might think this is an awesome church. Right? 
man, I found a, people, uh, a group of people just like me, and we can, we can do life together, and, 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 and it's just so much fun. We can go on vacations together. We can spend our evenings together. We can raise our kids together, whatever it might be. And, and suddenly, this is such a U-shaped community, and you love it. But the moment you lose those things, what will you do? You'll say you lack community, and you'll look for something else that fits you. A church that compliments you, right? And you'll be moving away from the biblical vision of community that God has in store for us. But if you identify the church as a community not built around common interests, but a common person, namely the person of Jesus Christ, the more you can experience church as a family, right? As a family, a family that you didn't choose but a family that you belong to because Christ has chosen you. Okay. A family that is bound together not by our own interests and preferences, but we can become a family that is one as the body of Christ. What if we did that, church? Right, what if you started looking at one another? Right? And, and I know for the most majority of us, we feel like we're in a room full of strangers. What if we identified each other as family that God has chosen for us, that we have been placed here to love one another, to encourage one another, to experience life together, not just, oh, I'm looking for a couple of people to you know, connect with, have great chemistry with, and the rest, the other 100 people, I can just ignore. Right? The title of today's message is Community Built by Love. And the first point is that we are a community gathered by the love of Christ, gathered by the love of Christ. John 15, that passage, I know it feels like we read it ages ago. We're gonna get back into the text. But John 15 is the well-known passage that describes Jesus as the vine and his people as the branches. And in this metaphor, Jesus is reminding us that, that apart from him, we can't do anything. We're just these dead, dry twigs, but we need to be grafted in and connected into a vine to give us life right? To connect it to a vine, to, to allow us to bear fruit and experience joy. And so that's what this metaphor is all about. And in verse five, Jesus tells us, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing, right? This is what Jesus is telling his disciples. This is what Jesus is telling us today. Now, what does it mean to abide? Right? That's like a, a real Christianese word, right? Once you start spending some time in the church, do some discipleship and do some Bible study, uh, you, you learn, you pick up a couple phrases and abide is one of them. Oh Lord, we wanna abide in your presence, right? You're like, oh, that sounds cool. And then you stop and ask like, what does it mean, right? What does it mean to abide in Jesus? Because it seems really important here in John 15. Well, here it means to indwell, okay? Like Jesus literally wants to come into your life, into your heart. He wants to come into your, your mind and your worldview. He wants us to experience intimacy and union with, with him. That's what it means to abide, to be near and to be close to him, to belong to him. And he's also telling us that apart from him, if we do not abide, from, abide in him, if he does not abide in us, we can't do anything. There is no joy, there is no life, there is no salvation, there is no fruitfulness. Branches, apart from the vine, they're thrown away. They wither, 
because they have no life and sustenance, right? Every time there's a storm here in Southern California, we see trees that fall, branches that go everywhere. And what happens to these branches, right? Our community servicemen, they come with their mulch machines, they get up the branches and they turn it into mulch, right? Those branches are worth nothing but mulch. They can no longer give life. They can no longer bear fruit. They're no good to be a part of, you know, just the beauty of trees and bushes. They're mulch. Jesus is saying the same thing, apart from him. If we're not connected to him, we can do nothing. Church, this is our state. This is what Jesus is saying about you. Jesus is saying this about me. He's saying this about our community. Apart from Christ, we're not only disconnected from God, we're disconnected to each other. And there's no hope of experiencing life-giving, joy-giving community. But God in his grace, he sent his son to gather us. He sent his son to abide in us, to be our true vine that gives us life. Jesus, the vine, offers us life with God and life with one another. And verse nine tells us how Jesus has done this. Jesus tells us, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Okay. I always love Jesus because he doesn't just kind of give us empty promises Right? He doesn't just tickle our ears with these kind of like flowery statements like, oh, I'll always be with you. And you're like, thanks. And then you're gone. And I felt like that was an empty promise, right? Jesus actually says, this is how I'm abiding with you, right? This is how I will give you life as the true vine. This is how I will save you from being a withering, worthless, fruitless branch. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus has loved us with the Father's love, church. And this is a relentless love that refused to let us remain in our sin. He refused to let us wither and die like branches waiting to be burned up. Jesus' love is a love that pursued us and he went to the cross for your sake. And brothers and sisters, he is calling us again to abide in his love to cling to his love, to believe in his love that Jesus truly loves us. And I know we sing and I know we heard it and we're so familiar with that concept, but I wanna tell you that the church is filled with people who do not believe that Jesus loves them. I know there are people in this room right now who, I mean, if I asked you, is God love? Yes, does Jesus love the world? Yes, does Jesus love you? And you'll say, I don't know. Why? It's because you, for some reason, not for some reasons, you find yourself unlovable because of the things that you've done, because of the dread and the weight and the stain of your sins. You're just like, I know God is love, but he can't love me for all of my trespass and all of my wandering. Or maybe you're somebody who has grown up in the church and you're like, I know Jesus has saved me. I know he is he's good. I know Jesus died for me, but I am so so fruitless. You have no idea, Michael. It's been so long since I've prayed, so long since I've read the Bible. I'm living in so much sin. There is so much fruitlessness in my life. God doesn't love me. Jesus doesn't love me right now. In fact, he's probably really angry at me. He's probably really disappointed in me right now. Do you feel that? Is that you sitting in the seats today? Do you feel unlovable and unloved by Jesus? And today he is calling us to believe in his love again, that he has loved you. 
And he's inviting you to abide in his love. You see, that's what we need to be. A community of of dead, withering, fruitless branches who have no hope in ourselves, but we've been gathered in by the love of Jesus, right? We've been grafted into his vine and we receive life even though in ourselves we're lifeless. Now this is foundational for us. We have to begin here because it makes us humble and it puts us in the right posture to be able to love one another. So that regardless of our gifts, regardless of our titles, regardless of our accomplishments, the word of God can can justify us and Jesus can be the center of this community. And friends, I wanna tell you that that in in our culture today, especially if you're in an Asian American middle-class church, it is so hard to strip yourself away from your accomplishment, right? You go outside after Sunday and you meet somebody new. What are you gonna ask? Where did you go to school, right? Where do you work? Where do you live? And if you say Lakersena or you say Pacoima, there's different triggers that go off in our heads, right? You start making assumptions about one another. If you say you're a doctor or a lawyer, there's a certain level of status and you treat a person a certain way. And and if you say you're unemployed or you're in between jobs, then there's like, oh, there's pity. And you feel pathetic as well. What the gospel tells us is regardless of your degree, regardless of your gifts, regardless of your accomplishments apart from Christ, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. And we are all withering, dying branches, waiting to be cast aside, deserving to be cast aside. We need to be a humble people. The sad thing is humility is so easy to talk about, so hard to actually live out. You know, the disciples actually really struggled with this as well. In Luke chapter nine, we have this surprising story where the disciples started arguing with each other about which of them was the greatest, okay? Actually happened, guys, right? So imagine Peter and John and James and Matthew, and they're having a debate. Who is the greatest among us, right? Who is the greatest disciple? Who does Jesus love the most? Who's gonna get the biggest mansion in heaven or whatever it might be? And they're really debating. They're actually arguing, right? Can you imagine that? They were competing against one another. They're trying to rank and measure themselves out to see who is the greatest. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, this wonderful German theologian, in his book, Life Together, he wrote this, and it's gonna go up on the screen. No Christian community ever comes together without this thought. He's reflecting upon this passage. Without this thought immediately emerging as a seed of discord. Thus, at the very beginning of Christian fellowship, there is engendered an invisible, often unconscious, life and death contest. Who is the greatest? This is enough to destroy a fellowship. Right? Do you know what destroys a church? It's not persecution, right? You think it might be. You think if somebody came in here and just started taking our lives if we don't deny Christ, you think that that might destroy the church? Friends, it doesn't. 
We see persecution across the world, especially in Egypt right now. Is the church, dis- is the church disintegrating in Egypt? No. We see revival in Egypt, more conviction to cling to the cross, more conviction to love their enemies, more conviction to pray for their persecutors. You read the book of Acts, and there's persecution that breaks out over and over again, and the church cannot stop growing. Persecution does not destroy the church. It's not hardship. It's not poverty. It's not a lack of facilities. What destroys a community is pride. What destroys our fellowship is competition and judgment. And so to humble us, the gospel reminds us that we are nothing but fruitless, lifeless branches deserving destruction. And so Jesus says, you know who's gonna be the greatest in heaven? Whoever's the least. That's the economy of the kingdom. That is the heart of God. But the gospel also reminds us that we are loved with the holy love of God. Not only that we are fruitless branches, but the gospel also tells us that we are loved with this relentless, holy love from God. And so truly we are far worse than we would ever believe, but far more loved than we ever dare imagine, okay? That's the paradox of the gospel, okay? You and I, we are more wicked than we would ever confess to anybody, and yet we are more loved than we could ever imagine. Now, before we moved into our second point, I want to make two critical connections in our text in John uh, 15. Let's look at our passage again. And if you have your Bibles, I really want to encourage you to open it and, and, and see these connections that Jesus is making because he, he wants to tell us how to abide in his love, how to experience him and enjoy him and the connections he's making between us loving one another. So if you have your Bibles, uh, at the end of verse nine, he commands us, right? Abide in my love, okay? End of verse nine, that's the command, abide in my love. And so you'll naturally ask, how? How do I abide in your love, Jesus? Well, Jesus answers this in verse 10. He tells us, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Okay, what's then the natural question? Okay, Jesus, what do you mean? Which commandments? Because there are 613 commandments and laws in the Old Testament, right? We know that the, the, the big one, the big 10 from Moses, the 10 commandments, which ones do you want us to keep, right? So that we can abide in your love. And then let's move down to verse 12. In verse 12, he makes this all important connection, okay? Abide in my love. And how do you do this? By keeping my commandments, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Here, Jesus has summarized what it means for us to keep the commandments. It's by loving one another as he has loved us. The second point of today's message is that we are to become a community that displays the love of Christ, that displays the love of Christ, that loves one another in the way that Jesus has loved us. And here I wanna cast a biblical vision for our church. I wanna dream, I wanna imagine, I wanna celebrate what God is doing and what God can continue to do in our community. John Owen Uh, the great Puritan preacher, uh, he wrote a small book titled Rules for Walking in Fellowship. Okay, Rules for Walking in Fellowship. I don't think it's an Amazon bestseller today because anything with Christianity, and if it says rules, 
We're like, oh, that sounds like a joy kill, right? <laughs> I don't want to book on rules because the gospel is supposed to be about like freedom, right? And life and, and grace. Rules does not seem to you know, be something we're looking for. But he was offering the church guidance and biblical wisdom on how we can walk in fellowship and have community with one another. And so this was his first rule, right? Uh, the first rule for the church was this. Show affectionate, sincere love in all things without hypocrisy towards one another like that which Christ showed to his church. John Owen derived this first rule directly from our text today, John 15, 12. And about it, John Owen wrote, it is the fountain, this idea of loving one another as Christ has loved us. It is the fountain, the rule, the scope, the aim and fruit of gospel communion. Nothing will make the doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ more imminent than this mutual, intense, affectionate love among his followers. I love that phrase, okay? Nothing will put on display the majestic love of God. Nothing will will boast a greater boast of Jesus and his grace than us loving one another with an intimate, affectionate, passionate, sacrificial love. Now, we all know that, that God calls us to love one another, right? Uh, it's, that's super basic. So that's not the most profound thing uh, that I can say from this pulpit. It's not going to be like, oh my gosh, mind blown. But it is the command of Christ. It is the command of Christ. And nothing displays the love of Christ more beautifully than our love for one another. John writes later, the world will know that we are disciples by what? By our love. So what does that look like? There are a multitude of ways that we can show love to one another. In fact, um, we're going to skip. Actually, he has a bunch of rules. I'm going to skip to the seventh rule, right? Uh, so if you're curious about rules two to six, you can buy the book really cheap on, Am- on Amazon. But there are two specific ways that, that we can love one another that I've been praying would become a hallmark of our church. Uh, this this whole series has been me kind of vision vision casting and dreaming again what our church could become as a community of God. The first is this, that we would become a community that loves one another through our weakness and our sin, okay? Um, And it's almost like kind of despite it and in the midst of our weakness and sin. Uh, So this was his seventh rule. Mutually bear with each other's infirmities, weaknesses, tenderness, and failings in meekness, patience, and pity, and assist those in need. I addressed this in last week's sermon, but the reality for us is that uh, uh, the reality for us is that everything that we do as friends, as brothers and sisters, as church members, all that we do is tainted by sin. That is a fact and that's a reality. Nothing we do in ourselves is righteous. We love imperfectly. We serve imperfectly. And we are in imperfect relations with one another. But this is why we are called to love each other as Christ has loved us. When you think about Jesus' love for you, isn't it a forgiving love? Isn't it a patient love? a forbearing love, a gracious love. It is a tender love. 
It is not a love that judges or condemns. It is a love that pursues and forgives. What did Christ do when he was betrayed, when he was denied by his own disciples? Jesus prayed for them and he laid down his life for them. Church, this is the blueprint for how we are to love one another with the love of Christ. But this is so absent in our church today, isn't it? Rather than having a deep and persevering love that can overcome sin, we have a thin and brittle love that is easily broken by sin. Okay? Don't you see that in the church today? Why are there so many Korean churches right, all throughout Southern California? It's not because of church planting. It's because of church splitting. right? <laughs> it's because of church splitting. And what does that tell us? We have a thin, we have a brittle love that is broken by sin. We don't see in our churches today a love that overcomes sin. When is the last time someone in the church sinned against you? Think about that. Go ahead. Like, let's get dark here, right? Let's get a little bitter and angry and let's, let's just, oh, right? When was the last time someone sinned against you? When's the last time someone gossiped about you? When's the last time someone disappointed you or hurt you, frustrated you? Or can you think of a time you just saw somebody in sin, right? Maybe you're out on the town and, and, and somebody in your small group was doing something completely inappropriate, completely out of control, and you were a little confounded. You were a little conflicted. How did you respond? Did you judge them? Did you gossip about them? Did you desire revenge? Or did you go passive aggressive and just distance yourself from them, right? And, and break ties and fellowship with them. Today, the word of God is calling us to love that offender as Christ has loved you, okay? If your love is a brittle love, then the moment someone trespasses against you, the moment someone hurts you and sins against you, you will want to break ties. You're going to want to gossip. You're going to want to avenge yourself. But if you have a Christ-like love towards them, you will pray for them. You will tenderly confront them. You will be patient with them. You will lead them to Christ. God's vision for our church is not to become a utopian community. You guys know what utopian means, right? It's this like kind of perfect picture, right? All nations community church will never, on this side of eternity, until Jesus comes back, we will never be filled with perfect people. We will never have perfect small groups. We will never have perfect relationships. So if you have come here and you're expecting just to be loved on and embraced and, and, and encouraged and your life is just gonna boom, like awesome, just on point, like your best life now, because I'm here at a cool church, you will be terribly disappointed. Our church will never be a church without sin. But I pray that we will always be a place where there is forgiveness for sins. Okay? That's the church Jesus wants. Not for us to be perfect people in this utopian community, but he wants us to be a place where we over and over again forgive each other and love each other as Christ has loved us. This is why Peter asked Jesus, how many times must I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, 77 times. 
Why? Because Jesus wants his community, his bride, his church to be a forgiving church full of imperfect people. I want to thank and encourage our church members because I see this. I see this on display. And I hope and I pray that you would just continue to forbear with one another when people might disappoint you, hurt you, and frustrate you. Would you continue to show them grace? Would you pray for them? And would you forgive them? The second way I believe that God is calling us to love one another is not to only bear with one another's failings and sin, but to also bear with one another's burdens, okay? And by burdens, I'm referring to any of the difficult life situations we may face as a result of living in a fallen world. In the church, we will experience death and loss. Our members will experience financial hardship. We don't wish it upon anyone, right? But job loss, bankruptcy, right? Sickness, these things happen. We experience emotional distress and even persecution. And Paul exhorts us as members of the body of Christ in Galatians. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens. Um, Last, uh, or this past week, I I watch a lot of YouTube videos, right? And... uh, and a lot of them are on golf, right? And so like once you just start watching all these things, and I saw this ridiculous one where I think this guy was a little intoxicated. Um, he drove his golf cart into a lake, right? And so it's in there and it's kind of like half in and half out and he is freaking out. And fortunately it's a little shallow. And so he jumps to the front of the cart and he's trying to push it back up. But you know, like one man can't move a golf cart. And so Golf is in foursomes, okay? Golf is in foursomes, and he had four guys out there. Two of the other buddies, they go by the shore, and they're, like, pulling this golf cart from the back, and they're, like, kind of moving it and getting it going. But how did this thing end up on YouTube? Because the fourth guy is recording, (laughs) is recording, recording these guys. And so, like, these guys are, like, in the swamp, just muddy and and just sweating, and they're freaking out because, like, if they lose this golf cart, the golf course is going to charge them thousands of dollars for damages, right? So they're freaking out. They're pushing this thing, and this one guy is just, like, he's getting all these different angles, and he's moving around, and he's just cracking up, and, of course, I'm enjoying it, and this is kind of going viral amongst golfers, but what is the loving thing to do? What would a good friend have done? They should have had four guys trying to pull the golf cart out, right? Those two other guys, they were trying to carry and bear that burden with their friend who was in complete distress, right? And that that fourth guy is just recording and he's just watching. Church, I wanna ask you this. When you see your friends, people in your small group, people in community, in our church, in need, in distress, in pain, in hardship. What is the righteous thing to do? What is the loving thing to do? And I'm gonna tell you this. It's not just to pray for them, okay? Yes, pray for them. But there are times when that's not enough. It's not just to sympathize with them and be like, oh, you can cry on my shoulder and offer them compassion. That is so important, right? It's so valuable, but there will be times when that is not enough. And that's not actually the truly loving thing to do. The loving thing to do is help, okay? To bear that person's burden. And if you're gonna help, that means that some of that burden is going to fall on you. 
some of that weight, some of that messiness, some of that pain is going to fall and land on you. It, might, it means you might need to give up some free time to visit someone in the hospital. It means that you might be called upon to open your wallet and help someone out financially. It means that you might need to open your heart and allow them to unload their emotional distress and their pain onto you. But church, that's what it means for us to carry one another's burdens. Not just at a distance, not just in sympathy, not just to record them and say, I'll make sure this looks good on social media. <laughs> but to carry that burden means it's gonna fall a little bit on you. But that is love on display. And we can put this love on display. We can be willing and, and we are able to carry one another's burdens because Christ has done this for us. Right? Jesus Christ has gone there and he loved you to the point of death and he knew all of our struggles. He knew all of our baggage and he knows all of our burdens and he took them upon himself to the cross so that you and I can be gathered together into his body to receive his love, his life and his salvation church, can we dream together? Can we lift our eyes to the heavens? Can we set our hearts upon scripture and not be a community just based around our preferences and our own culture? Can we be a community crafted by God? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are the vine and we are the branches. And though we deserve to be, to cast aside, to be, be destroyed and, and counted out, we thank you, Jesus, that you, that you loved us and you gathered us in and united yourself to us and you've given us life. So Lord, I pray that we would be a church that is centered on you, that is given life by you. And as we gather under the amazing and matchless name of Jesus, would you help us not just be recipients of your love, but also people who demonstrate your love to one another. Help us to be a forgiving church. Help us to be a burden-sharing church, a church that truly loves. And in all of this, would you receive the glory? We thank you in Jesus' name I pray, amen.